idea of the good life to home and family, my mind automatically goes back to the creation narrative to the very first time in all of scripture that God said something was not good. And that's when man was alone. And God proactively fashioned a bride for the first man. He presented her to him as a gift. We see in Genesis 2, 24 and 25 that they were both naked and there was no shame. There was no fear of being exposed because there was this oneness, this peace, this completion, this shalom that they had together. But then as we continue to read the narrative of scripture, we see that sin entered into the world. And though the good structure that God created was still present, the direction of fallen humanity pursued things outside of this good life that God had created. And they erected for themselves and what we have inherited are these barriers to the oneness that we lost in the fall. So because of sin, our focus, our attention, our desires are constantly being pulled by the enemy of our soul, by our flesh, and even by the worldly system that constantly wants to take us away from remembering where our first identity is, which is rooted in the sufficiency of Christ. When that is not our primary identity, everything else will constantly pull us away from that and reminding us that we have to be rooted in what Jesus did for us on the cross is enough. And everything that he gives to us will be a part of that good life as an added bonus. And so we want to invite you into three real life scenarios, three struggles and three dialogues that we have had over the course of the 15 years of our marriage that has kind of seemed like it's been a, a struggle for us in developing a oneness into the good life that we have wanted to establish in our marriage. Father, I don't understand it. Every time I pursue Alicia sexually, I light the candles, I put on our favorite slow jams, I romance my wife and I pursue her, she shuts me down. I don't get it, Lord. I constantly think three things. Number one, man, she only married me for a paycheck, so I'll be her provider. But then I also struggle with the fact of my own insecurities. Maybe I'm not attractive enough. Maybe I'm not tall enough. Maybe I don't look good enough, which then leads me to my greatest fear and my greatest insecurity. Maybe she's found satisfaction in another man. Maybe she's defiled our marriage bed. Every time I push back to ask her what's wrong with me or what's wrong with her, she never opens up and talks about our sexual life. God, why does she keep giving me the silent treatment? Lord, help me to know how to communicate to my husband that I have been sexually abused when I was a little girl. I don't even, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how to begin the conversation because every time I think about that moment, I'm constantly faced with the shame and the guilt that I've carried my entire life. I've not told a single soul. I've not even told my parents. So how can I tell my husband? I pick up on the, the romantic things that he does. I do, I appreciate that. But every time he goes to touch me, I feel, feel this instant violation because I don't know how to deal with the things that I've been exposed to and the things that, I have been, that have been done to me. Lord, I have not even been healed from this brokenness that I carry. So Lord, help me to have that conversation with my husband. That dialogue happened five years into our marriage. That means for the first five years of our marriage, there was this barrier to our oneness in our sexual life. That night when Alicia opened up to me for the first time and somebody outside of Christ himself for the molestation and the abuse that she endured, I wept with her. Her pathway to healing began that night. 
And to be transparent, there was no sexual intimacy that evening, but that was the greatest intimate connection we had had as man and wife in our covenant of marriage to date at that time. As I opened up about my insecurities, that allowed her to then begin the process of healing together with myself. And the reality of us destroying that barrier to oneness is something that we have walked in victory through Jesus over the last 10 years of our marriage. Hey, David. Yeah. Mama's making spaghetti. Oh, good for her, man. I'm glad she's making spaghetti. That's what's up. No, you don't understand. Mom is making spaghetti. We got Italian sausages. We got meatballs. She's got to have a spread of desserts, salad, bread, everything, you name it. Mom's making spaghetti. Pack your stretchy pants. Let's okay. go. Here's what I got to say. We just came home from church. Okay. The football game starts in five minutes. I understand right? that. Yep. I'm glad for your mom and dad. Praise be to God that they got that rhythm going over there. But here's my question. What are you making us for lunch? I'm hungry. The game going to start. What are we going to do? Are you kidding me? What part of mom's making spaghetti did you not understand? Check that out. That was a real life conversation that quickly escalated into an argument, right? Which led me to drown myself in my pillow of tears, wondering why my husband didn't read my mind. Okay, so constantly we are going to be uh, challenged with the barrier of how to communicate. And when I didn't uh, give him clear direction, I didn't help him to understand my desire, there was no decision that was made. And so these are the constant barriers that we're facing in our marriage and trying to establish the good life. And these, these are some key ingredients to remember. Breathe grace practice active listening, and seek to have an understanding heart. You know, Alicia, what frustrates me about you in moments like this is that you're constantly saying that I'm not leading our family. You're telling people in our church that I'm the pastor of that I'm not leading us. But listen, I work a full-time job. Okay. I'm full-time in seminary. We're planting a church. Mm -hmm. I ain't cheating on you. I ain't got a secret family tucked away somewhere. I come home every night. I'm dedicated to you. And you still have the audacity to say that I'm not leading our family? Mm -hmm. You know what? You went to Bible college and seminary. Stop being lazy, woman up, and get into the Bible yourself. You need to have your own direct personal relationship with Jesus. You cannot get to heaven on my coattails. Your spiritual immaturity is on you, girl. I'm doing all that I can. Well, <laughs> so you're right. I did go to Bible college and I do know how to study the Bible, right? Yeah. But if I can remember correctly, Ephesians 5 says you need to wash me in the word and you ain't doing that, homie. So because of that, I'm trying to remember where is your first ministry? I thought I was that. I thought me and my family were the first ones you were supposed to be pouring yourself into versus being divided by everybody else that wants your attention. Okay. So I'm wanting you to make sure that we are standing back to back, fighting for the same cause, fighting the spiritual warfare that are coming against us because we are on the front lines of church planning. And last time I checked, you were running 100 steps ahead of me and I thought we were standing together. What happened? This is a constant conversation in our marriage, the barrier of spiritual immaturity. And you know what? The Lord had to humble my heart. He had to break my egotistical pride. And I had to recognize that I covenanted before God, my wife, and family and friends that I would wash her in the word. And when I failed, trust me, she let me know. But over the course of time, she began to envelop me in grace and she would give me opportunities for failure and mistake making. 
And we began to be intentional about developing a prayer life together, time in the word together that then allowed us to seek maturation in Christ together where I bore my responsibility, but she would reciprocate that and pour into me in moments that I was tired, I was weary, and I was weak. And when we began to see this rhythm of discipleship in our own relationship, it then naturally was brought out to the way that we viewed our children. We stopped seeing them as dependents and we started seeing them as disciples. And it set the entire culture of our home for discipleship making. Absolutely. Um, we've been given the privilege, privilege to be able to homeschool our children. And I always tell people that homeschooling my children is like this. 40% is academic, where I'm teaching them English, math, science, history, all that good stuff. But the other 60% is making sure they understand who they are in Christ and rooting that back with the practical things that they're going to be faced with day in and day out. And so because of that, we feel like it's important for us, if we are having that rhythm and establishing the discipleship rhythm in our homes, then that's going to open us up to being accountable even to each other, first and foremost, but to our children as well. Our children have now know that they have the opportunity to correct mommy and daddy when we're walking in our flesh and not keeping a step with the spirit because we've been open to them and helping them understand that we need them just as much as they need us. And so because of that, we really feel like it's important for us to not only establish discipleship as a part of our good life, but accountability because we need the body of Christ, other believers and other brothers and sisters in Christ that have gone into marriage, you know, longer than we have to be able to see the blind spots that we're not seeing or help to mediate when we're not seeing eye to eye. Those are the, some of the key ingredients to help us to establish the good life in our home. So what we want to close with is this, is that there was this oneness that God in his good structure of creation still has present in our day. Because of the finished work of Christ, we've been reconciled to our God. So now we can see that oneness, that shalom, that completeness reestablished in the Christian home. When we begin to allow the gospel to saturate every nuance of our lives, past, present, and future, that allows us to begin such dialogues that we can destroy the barriers to our oneness that God has designed uniquely for the marriage of the Christian home to be a billboard for the gospel. And when we reestablish that rhythm of oneness, then we will be face-to-face. We'll be hand in hand. And we'll be back to back. And we will allow people to see this is what the good life is God intended is meant to be in the Christian home. God bless. Thank you.